and invite you to turn again to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This last week, I read an article. I'm, I don't know that the individual claims to be a Christian. He was just uh, writing on, <clears throat> on society. But I want to just read a part of it. Once upon a time, you had meaning. You knew you had meaning because your mom and dad told you so, you knew that there was a God who loved you and a community that needed you. Once upon a time, if something happened to you, a significant number of people would mourn your death, not because you were a good person or a good friend, but also because the community would suffer without your presence and skills. Now the vast majority of people can barely count on one hand the number of people whose life would be truly altered by their passing. For the most part, it can easily feel like no one cares about you anymore. Your skills are ambiguous. You have no true community. And in our society, it's like God doesn't exist. So what, you may ask, is exactly the point. We have created a society that now offers almost none of the things that make people truly happy. Faith, family, and community. These are the foundational and primal building blocks of human happiness, and they are rapidly disappearing. With the destruction of the family, the church, and the community, the reasons people have traditionally had for their very existence are in danger of receding into the past, and the outcome is predictable. Isolation, depression, anxiety, de- despondency, drug abuse, and death. And it went on and gave some statistics about um, how our nation has fallen off the cliff in so many areas. <clears throat> but he concludes with this. Why would anyone be surprised that when we take the foundational social structures that have allowed for the flourishing of humanity that bad things will happen. We all know very well what happens when more and more children grow up in single-parent homes. We know what happens when communities deteriorate, isolation, loneliness, and a decline in social norms. And when we destroy the church, the very institution that has been our bedrock of values, morality and redemption for a thousand years, we know what happens. Despair, immorality, desperation, and evil. Combine all three, and we know exactly what happens. An opioid epidemic so severe that it has literally reduced our average life expectancy. A suicide rate that continues to climb for almost all demographic groups and mass shootings, destroy the family, abandon the community, raise the church to the ground. What could go wrong? Everything. And those three foundations. Today, we want to zero in on the one 
that he refers to as the church, but we refer to as faith. And it involves the church. But we live in a society that he alluded to it here. And, and this last week I was talking to someone and they shared about uh, a relative of theirs that uh, grew up in a Christian home, professes to know Christ as Savior, and, and things have been a little rocky in their life. And they're beginning to wonder, is God, is God really for me? Now, the problem is not asking that. The key is what do you do after you ask that? And in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse 31, if God is for us, and it's not if like it's a question, it's more since God is for us. Because he is concluding what he has identified in the early part of the chapter, which we're going to go back and just go through. But there will be times that come in your life that you you may look at and say, "I I don't know that God's really for me in this situation. And and you are going to have to have a faith that is anchored not in something you read someplace else, not in what some preacher or teacher or someone else says. You are going to have to have a faith that's anchored in the Word of God and in truth. And and no one else can establish that in your life. And And there will come times that it may seem like God has abandoned you. And you will have to come back to truths. And I would point us to Romans chapter 8. Of coming back to these truths. And and we're going to go through that. Is God really for me? And and, And maybe that's even a bad question to ask. Because it's not about me. But Paul in writing said... Since God is for us, who can be against us? And you, you might look at life and think, well, I don't really see how God is for me. And, and Lord willing, today we want to show you from Romans chapter 8, seven ways that God is for you and the, the new things that he has given you and encourage you to personalize these and daily live in light of these so that you have a faith that is victorious. Now you remember Romans 7, Paul saying, the things I would do, I end up not doing, and the things I wouldn't do, I end up doing them. And in a sense of desperation, he, he says, who can deliver me from this? And then he says, but thanks, O wretched man that I am. He realized his wretched condition. But he said, but thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is my deliverer. And and we've seen already in Romans the justification, the work of God in sanctification, 
and someday there will be glorification. But Paul then begins now in Romans 8, and he really lays out a case that shows Jesus Christ is our deliverer, and he is for you, and this is why. Number one, we have a new position and a new life in Christ. Again, Romans 7, I'm, I'm in this battle Romans 1, there is therefore, he's been talking about justification. And he said, because of justification in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I have, as a believer, I have a new position. I was condemned, guilty, it wasn't like I will come to trial. I, the verdict was already out. I was condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire. But now I have been given a new position. There is therefore now no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. The new position that we have, we are justified. And the righteous requirement of the law, verse 4 tells us, has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I, I have a new position from unfulfilled to fulfilled in Jesus Christ. From condemned to no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And I have been given spiritual life. I was spiritually dead before. Dead, Ephesians says, in my trespasses and sins. I had no spiritual life. But now, he tells us in verses 5 and 6 of Romans 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I have new life. I was dead. But now I have new life. So he, he's saying, God is for you because in Christ Jesus, he has given you a new position and a new life. And really not a new life. It's, yes, it is a new life, but it was, it's life. We were dead before. He's, he's given us life. But the key is you must be in Jesus Christ. There must be a time that we personally turn from our ways to trust Jesus Christ. So, is God really for me? Absolutely. He has given you a new position and a new life. But then he goes on and he says he's also brought you to a new relationship. You've been reading through Romans 8. And uh, we won't go through all the verses of this. But you notice if you look in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We are brought to a re renewed a new relationship. We are made sons of God. 
We, we sang the song this morning, I'm a child of the King. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, and an alien by birth. But I've been adopted. That's what Romans right here is. I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. Think, think of that. You are a child of the king. I mean, you are given this, this new relationship, and Paul says, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Now, we may not get the, the fullness of that, but if you think of it, first of all, God designed fathers to have a calming effect and a sense of security to bring that to a family. And sad to say, many, many, many times as fathers we fail, but in a proper relationship, a child feels at home and at peace with his father. And the Abba Father, it's a personal relationship. You know, every, every family has different terminologies. Kids may call their dad Pa in an endearing sense. They may call him Dad. But this is, is, this is what it says. You are a son of God and you have direct access to the Father. He is the perfect Father, and it is personal. It's Dad. You know, in my family, we called my dad, Dad, Dad. And, and when, when I, I, didn't, I didn't have to say, oh, I wonder if I can go to Dad today. No, I was his son. And, and I could go right to him. Dad, can you help me? Dad. I couldn't go to the neighbors. I could go there and play with that boy and go into his house. But I couldn't go to his dad and say that because, but now I am a child of the king. This is a new relationship and it's, it's a personal relationship. We have an everlasting father. I remember when, when my dad passed away, this whole aspect of the reality of an everlasting father became much more personal to me. You know, there, there were times I think, man, I, I, I'd like to call dad. And it's like, that's not possible. Or sometimes you think, oh, I need to tell dad this. That ended, but my relationship with my Heavenly Father never ends. I can always go to Him. And, and some of you have grown up, sad to say, in homes that, that the Father didn't manifest the security. You have in your everlasting Father the perfect Father. And this is a new relationship. And Paul says, since God is for you, it's evidenced 
in this new relationship. Focus on the Father. And, and I love how he says here that he says, You have not received the bondage again unto fear. In the 1960s, the KGB did some fascinating psychological experiments. They learned that if you bombard human subjects with fear messages nonstop, that in two months or less, most of the subjects are completely brainwashed to believe the false message, to the point that no amount of clear information they are showing to the contrary, can change their minds. Kind of explains what's going on in our society today, right? But let's bring it down to to personal. You bombard your mind with false things, and you will be controlled with fear, Paul said, and bondage again unto fear. But if you focus on your Father... Your heavenly Father. You can run to Him and say, Pa, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I I say that in the sense that it's that personal. It is more personal than any relationship. And you can run to your Father. The problem we have today is, is we're focusing on the fear factor rather than the Father factor. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. And Paul says, my goodness, you live in a world that is filled with fear and it it grows in our own hearts. But he says, you aren't brought in this relationship to bondage unto fear. You are brought where you can run to the Father and say, Dad. It's a new relationship. But then he says... Not only do we have a new relationship, and that's evidence of, of God's love for us, but then he goes in, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Sufferings of this present time. Paul didn't deny the sufferings of this present time. He acknowledged that. But he said, God loves you so much that he's given you this blessed hope that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that there shall be. He reminds us of the blessed hope. And he goes in in this passage that one day we will be revealed as children of God and, and when that day comes, the, pre, the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory of the future. And, and this is so tremendous, he says, that the whole creation waits in eagerness for this deliverance. We, we continually remind us of the, the big picture that God created man and man fell into sin, and since the fall into sin, creation has been under the weight of the curse, and they're longing. All of creation groans, waiting for the deliverance, and even the angels are looking into, and, and I'm curious what the angels are thinking. 
I'm thinking, often the angels are thinking, why do you love those people? I mean, you do all these things for them, and they turn their back on you. They want more. They, they don't obey you. And, and they're wondering, and there is going to come a day when that deliverance will be made known and the angels will see us. It's almost like unveiling a statue. God's working on us, working on us, and they're going to be an unveiling and they're going to see the fullness of God's work and God's love. But he says, this hope that we have, I don't know if you haven't read your new morning mercies for today, read it today. It, it really deals with this aspect that there, we, in Christ, know that the best is yet to come. Nothing, can com- nothing in this world can compare to the glory of eternity. Everything here is temporal. So he's given us a new position, a new life. He's given us a new relationship. He's given us a new hope. And he's given us a new help. In verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. All right? So he says, Proof that I love you is that I've given you my Spirit. And notice verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit, verse 9, it tells us He dwells within us. So no matter where I go, the Spirit of God is with me. He dwells within me. So it's a constant companion that I have. And I run into situations and I don't know what to pray for as I ought. You've run into those, haven't you? What do I pray about in this? And the Spirit that dwells within us goes before the Father And he pleads our case with the groanings that we can't utter. He pleads our case before the Father. So you think about it. The Spirit makes intercession for us. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. If you heard Jesus praying for you one day, it would transform your life. But He is doing that. The Holy Spirit is interceding. And we don't have time, but we've done a whole series on the work of the Spirit. And since God is for you in giving you His Spirit, man, oh man, I've got new help. I've got new hope. In Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In His presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. To go to the Spirit, someone wrote, implore the Spirit's help and he will help your weaknesses. 
He will show you your sins to give you matter of confession. He will show you your wants to give you matter of petition. He will show you the mercies and blessings of God to yield you the matter of thanksgiving. He will show the church's miseries and necessities to furnish you with a matter of how to pray and make intercession. I have new hope and new help. I'm not left in this maze of life to go through it and find my way through. I now have the Spirit of God dwelling within me. Every day and every moment we ought to walk in the Spirit. God, I need your Spirit's direction today. And rejoice when you come to a situation and you don't even know what to pray. And maybe the burden is so great you can't even utter words. You're just overcome with it. Thank the Lord the Spirit is not overcome. And He goes before the Father and He makes intercession. Father, our son or daughter right here is in desperate need right now. And you know this is what they need. And the Spirit is interceding for you. Often in life we have no one that intercedes for us in anything. But you've got God, Spirit, dwelling within you, interceding on your behalf. And then we have the new promise. Not really a new promise. But he says, verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. So, here we have this promise that God says, You are my child, and anything that comes into your life, good or bad, I will make it work together, and I am going to produce good out of it. What a blessing that is to know, wow, no matter what comes in my life, God has promised because He loves me that whatever comes in my life, He can make it work together for good when I love Him and I'm committed to His purposes. Do you understand? That's a promise that says everything ends well. God writes the last chapter. And it's only the last chapter that brings conclusion to everything else. He writes the last chapter. And we can rest in and rejoice in that. But he also then gives us a new purpose. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. A new purpose. I now am a work of God and He is using everything that comes into my life to make me like Christ. He predetermined that I and you as a believer should be conformed to the image of His Son. So, He takes this rough chunk of wood And he says, I'm going to carve out of this the image of my son. 
And He begins that work. And do you understand? There's nothing that comes into your life that is accidental or coincidental. And you might say, why is this happening to me? And the answer is to make you more like Christ. God wants to make you more like Christ. Why did God allow this in my life? I don't understand it, but I know overall it's because he wants to make me like Christ. People say, I I just wish I knew God's will. It starts with this. He's, He's trying to make you like Christ. And he brings things into our lives to make us Christ-like. That gives a new purpose. What is your purpose in life? To live as long as you can? No, my purpose in life is to be like Christ because that glorifies the Father. That adds meaning to everything in life. And many, sad to say, Christians don't have a purpose in life. But God said, I love you so much that, that I am at work in your life and I promise you I'll make all things work together for good and you can rest in my purpose that I'm doing it to make you like Christ. And then we come to the seventh thing and the passage that we read earlier. So he's going through all these things and he says... What shall we say then to these things? These things that we have a new position and new life. We're brought to a new relationship, a child of the king. We have new hope and new help and new promise and new purpose. What shall we say to these things? Whoa, if that's true, I'm invincible. If God is for me, who can stand against me? You you see the confidence that is there? The confidence that is there. Whoa! I, I am an object of God's specific love. And if God is the one at work in me and through me and around me, if God be for me, who can stand against me? And then he goes on to to support that. He says, for example, he did not even spare his son on our behalf. I mean, he gave his son. And he says, if he did that for you, how much more will he give you everything you need through his son? He said he did the greatest thing that he could ever do in giving his son. He says, don't you question that he's not going to do what is right in your life. And he asked, who can lay any charges against us? Who can come and lay, hey, they were this or that. It is God alone that condemns. And there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, people can falsely accuse, but you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He then says, 
Who can condemn us? It is only God that condemns. Who can separate us from the love of God? You know, this passage that is here, he, he begins in verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of God? And kind of wedged in the middle of it is, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And he's saying, you know, we're in the midst of persecution. We know God is for us. We're in the midst of persecution. But then notice what he says. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We are more than conquerors. Most of you are familiar with the word Nike. Okay? You think of sports equipment, shoes. The word Nike means victory. It's a Greek word. The word that he used here for more than conquerors is Hooper Nikeo. Its root word comes from Nike, victory. And it means overwhelming, not just a victory, but the Hooper added on to it, means an overwhelming, vanquishing beyond recognition to gain a decisive victory. To subdue, to conquer, to overcome, to prevail, to get the victory. He says, we in Christ Jesus are not going to just eke out a victory. He says, we are in Christ Jesus overwhelmingly victorious. And he says, I'm confident of these things. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Overwhelmingly victorious. The confidence that He says here, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, it doesn't matter what. And, and often we read these things, and, and thankfully we have been blessed in America But most of these things we haven't experienced in our life. Shall tribulation, well, we've had trials and we've had difficulties, or distress, or persecution, famine. (laughs) That's a hard one to mention after Thanksgiving, right? Or nakedness, or dangers, or the sword. I mean, thankfully, we have lived. Where the majority of those things have not, but he's, those were real life things to these believers. And he said, none of those can separate us from the love of God. And then he went on and he said, nothing in heaven or on earth or any created thing shall be able to separate us from God. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers. And he's, he's trying to cover everything that he can think of shall be able to separate us from the love of God. But what are you letting separate you from the love of God in your own heart? It's what you focus on. 
And Paul, with, with extreme confidence, is saying, Hey, God is for us. Live like it. Rejoice in it. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. We're not like, oh, we're getting our tails beat. I don't know. I hope we can make it. to. No! We're victorious! We know how this ends. And the victory is now. Because the Spirit of God is living in me. And the love of God is upon me. And He is at work in me. And God is for me. Bring it on! You say, I'm not saying bring it on. You better say bring it on because it's going to come on. There's going to come some difficult things in life and you better be having a bedrock faith that I know God is for me because Satan will stand there and say, if God was for you, this bad thing wouldn't be happening. There are people dying today around the world because they love Jesus Christ. And they're not denying Him because they know the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of the future. And so Paul, I was thinking about this. I thought, I wonder wonder what Paul would write to us right here in southern Iowa today. I thought, what can separate us from the love of God? Can COVID-19... No. Can communism? Socialism? No. Can George Soros? No. Can leftists? No. Can can aging? No. Can go on. Whatever whatever's occupying your mind. I don't care what it is. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even my own weakness. Not e- Can my failures separate me from the love of God? No! Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And that's, that's what, what Paul is bringing this around. And he's saying is, wow, realize how much... And, and this is just scratching the surface here. To realize how much God is for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Can election fraud separate you from the love of God? No. Not at all. Can injustice separate you from the love of God? Some of you have had severe injustices in your life. No, that can't separate you from the love of God. Can the forces of evil? No. What can separate us from the love of God? And we need, to, we need to come back and live in these truths. We need to come back and personalize these truths. We need to make Romans chapter 8 a part of our lives. And to realize, since God is for me, who can stand against us? Man, what a confidence. And to then let that confidence be exude from our life to the point that other people see the difference and ask us of the reason of the hope that lies within us. My hope is, is not 
in anything else but Jesus Christ. And in him, we are guaranteed of victory through him. Heavenly Father, I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate our hearts, that the truths of Romans 8 would not just be something that we think of during um, our study in the book of Romans, but Lord, that the truths of Romans 8 would be personalized in our life to the point that our faith is unshakable, to the point that our joy is a testimony of the greatness of you, and that our faithfulness would be an example to others. Lord, I pray if there is one here today that is not in Christ, not in you, Lord, cause them to realize they are condemned already. The only future they have is in eternity in the lake of fire. And Lord, help them to see that you are willing to forgive their sins and take them from condemnation to no condemnation if they bow before you for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every believer here. You know, Lord, our hearts that, that we are weak and fragile and we are often prone to be overcome by fear. Lord, I pray that we would realize what a perfect father you are. And that we would run and jump on your lap. And Lord, that we would know the ministry of your spirit in our lives. That we would know the new life that you give. That we would know the help. That we would rest that all these things you are working together for good. And Lord, that we would have a confidence that glorifies you. So Lord, we desire to be pleasing in your sight because of what you've done. We aren't under obligation to live according to the flesh. But Lord, we do desire to live according to the Spirit. So help us, Lord. Thank you for the help that you are. And we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives even today to know that you are at work shaping and molding us May you find us pliable in your hands, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.